This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. I'm Ann Romer. This edition of The Feed is brought to you by Peak Performance. If you are a startup, a small business, or even a mid-sized enterprise needing professional HR support, your solution awaits with Peak Performance HR. Not every organization requires a full-time HR specialist, and Peak Performance HR offers fractional, flexible, and cost-effective outsourced HR services tailored to your unique needs. Please visit peakperformancehr.ca. Coming up on the feed, a winter weather preview with Canada's favorite forecaster, David Phillips, badminton Olympic qualifiers in Markham this weekend, and the new digital literacy program for adults. But first, did you know that 12 people die by suicide in Canada every single day? That's 4,500 precious lives lost each year, and more than 200 attempt suicide every day. Did you know? I didn't know. 988 988. Those having suicidal thoughts can now call or text that number to reach a trained, caring responder 24 hours a day, seven days a week, toll-free, no matter where they live in Canada, and no one will be turned away. Yara Sachs, the Federal Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, is with us now to explain the importance of this suicide prevention helpline made available to all Canadians just a little over a week ago. Welcome to the feed, Yara. Thank you so much for being our guest. Well, thank you so much for having me, Anne. And I, I just really want to thank you for making sure that we have the space to talk about this, to destigmatize and bring to light how important it is for us to be able to talk about those who are struggling with suicidal thoughts and making sure that they get the help they need. The fact that we're doing this conversation over the weekend is fantastic. And that help is coming now in the form of a helpline. How and why, Yara, was this put together? So, as as you mentioned, uh, we know that right now the numbers are tragic. Uh, close to 12 Canadians a day are, are, are dying by suicide, that is 12 families, 12 communities who tragically lose someone that they love. And we know that there are ways that we can help. We know that early intervention and prevention when someone is in a moment of crisis can really make the difference in getting them to safety. And this was something that families, organizations, um, and, and so many across Canada had been asking for for, for quite some time. Uh, the United States launched their 988 line about a year and a half ago. So we know that it works. We know that having a warm voice on the other end of the line is really the first step in getting someone to safety. And, and that's what we were driven by, is saving lives and making sure that people get the help that they need in that moment of crisis. And what about the significance of the fact that it is three digits rather than a very long telephone number? That is such a great question, and I'm so glad you asked. Um, you know, there are close to there are about, there are 39 distress centers that are part of the coast to coast network that we have, and these are organizations that have been doing this type of crisis work for years. But one of the barriers is that they have longer numbers, and that you have to look for the, those numbers in your area uh, to know where to get help. And what's terrific about the 988 is that it is a simple to remember three-digit number that will hook you up, connect you immediately with a responder closest to you when you need the help. Someone who's in crisis 
does not have the, the bandwidth or the, the, the ability to necessarily research and find a 10-digit number for help. We wanted to lower the, the access barriers to make sure that people are getting the help they need as quickly as possible. And why add the ability to text? So that's a great question. And what I would say is that in the world that we're in, I'm, I'm a mom to two teenage daughters, and, and there are many families around the country who, who have who have young people and, and we know that young people are actually um, the most susceptible to, to suicidal ideation and being in crisis. We wanted to add another tool to the toolbox so that people can access help when they need it. Um, sometimes texting is that first doorway open for many who because of stigma, because of where they may be, uh, that the safest way to connect is by text rather than a call. And we wanted to make sure that no stone was left unturned in, in ensuring access. Can you walk us through 988? Now, it was launched on November 30th. We're well into December now. How does it work? Well, it's as simple as either texting or dialing 988 on your phone you will be immediately connected through to, it starts uh, on an automated system that will ask you a number of important questions. First of all, what language would you, do you wish to speak in? Is it English or French? You'll be asked your, your age range. And it also asks you if, if you are Indigenous, First Nations, or Métis. So we wanted to make sure that we were covering as many initial bases as possible to direct the person very quickly to the right responder for them. At that point, you are, it's what we call a warm carry. There is a voice on the other end of the line to help you through what you need at that moment. And can you remain anonymous if you wish? Absolutely. Part of the rationale of that is to ensure that the person calling or connecting has a sense of safety. Uh, they may be calling anonymously for a myriad of reasons. And uh, our goal is to keep them on the line and keep them talking and getting help in that moment of crisis. I also understand that there is a sense of local when it comes to the those who are on the other end of the line, that, that at, at a certain point it's important that the responder, the well-trained responder, is perhaps from the same locale that the person calling is from. Absolutely. Um, when you look at the, the different distress centers that we've connected with across the country, they're really reflective of the communities that they're in. So we've made sure that we have not just enough responders on the network, but a diversity of responders in terms of language, uh, cultural back backgrounds. We wanted to make sure that we created a system that was equitable and culturally appropriate for what is the amazing country we live in, which is Canada. That is diverse and, and, and multicultural across the country. And we wanted to make sure that someone who is reaching out, that the person on the other end of the line really understands them and sees them as well. CAMH has a pivotal role in all of this. What is it? So uh, to create a system like this requires a, a massive network to be built out. And the federal government wanted a partner that has deep experience in the mental health and mental illness space and with suicide prevention that could be the anchor of the work that we wanted to see in building out the network. And CAMH was the perfect partner for the federal government in ensuring that we built a system that was not only robust but evidence-based and, and included 
really in-depth training uh, across the country so that we were able to respond wherever needed uh, as we built up the system. So CAMH really has the expertise and the ability to work with distress centers to ensure that ongoing training of responders uh, is there and to expand the system as needed, really needed to come from really the experts in the field, and that's CAMH. And can 988 also help family members or loved ones who are sensing that the person they love is in distress? Absolutely. The idea of the line is not only for the individual who may be in distress, but if you are a loved one or a friend or a colleague that sees someone in distress, that you are able to call and get advice on how best to help them. Let's talk about the timing of the launch, November 30th, so right right at the cusp of, of the holiday season it's in a very, yeah. very, 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 very challenging time for so many people for so many reasons. So uh, as we do know, uh, at this time of year, rates of depression um, and those struggling with their mental health tends to be higher through the winter months and the holiday season. Uh, you know, the holiday season isn't always a happy season for everyone um, for a myriad of reasons. And we set a goal for ourselves to ensure the launch on November 30th. So we went live, a full network across the country on November 30th, so that we would have enough time to ensure that the system was well established and that the public would know about it as we held it, as we moved into December and January. You know, there's Blue Monday. Uh, during the early uh, during the early months, uh, during the early weeks of January and into February, we wanted to make sure that the system was well placed and already well known throughout the country uh, during this time of year when when people really do struggle more. When the teams of of responders were training, how important was it to have 988 in the United States up and running in terms of touching base, of learning from what they have gone through, their ups, their downs, their, their, their successes and their failures? Oh, it was absolutely fantastic to have that collaborative uh, uh, relationship with the SAMHSA team in the United States. That's their 988 team there. We learned so much from their experience. They took about four years to build out their system. Um, by working with them and getting advice on best practices, what was working, what didn't work for them, we were actually able through CAMH to get our system up and running in two years. So the, 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 the collaboration and, and the advice that we were given was just absolutely invaluable. Yara, we've explained, you have beautifully explained how it works. I'd like to know why this helpline works. Why it works is, is very simple. We want people to know that in that moment of crisis that they aren't alone. That when oftentimes when someone moves into a place of a suicide, suicidal ideation and crisis, it's that critical moment of intervention that can make all the difference. And we wanted to ensure that this, is, this doesn't replace mental health services that are needed. This doesn't replace the need to work with physicians and primary care providers. What we wanted was a swift crisis response line to answer the need that we saw was clear across the country, particularly with our young people, to know that there would be someone on the other end of the line that would be that helping hand, that would be that door that opens 
right when they need it without any barriers, without any issues, and, and respecting both their privacy and their need to talk to someone. We've had incredible systems like Kids Help Phone that have been around for decades. So we knew the need was there to lower the access barrier and increase the service. 988. I'll repeat it. 988. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, toll free. It is there for you if you need help. Yara Sachs, the Federal Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much, Anne. And I'll just say one thing as we head into the holiday season. And our message to anyone who is struggling across Canada, please know that you are not alone. 988 is here to help you. Thank you. York Regional Police are once again sending a message to anyone who will be driving during the holidays. Glenn Perkins with the holiday reminder. And the message is, don't get behind the wheel. Find an alternate means of getting home if you are drinking or consuming drugs. Constable Todd Snooks is with York Regional Police Road Safety Bureau. I asked him about the process officers use to catch impaired drivers. Well, there's different processes. Uh, Obviously, our officers are uh, in areas that are known for drinking. So you look at your establishments, bars, restaurants, LCBOs and, and beer stores. You know, those are areas where we're making sure that, one, they're not consuming coming in or going out. Uh, getting in and out of their vehicles, uh, but also that uh, they haven't uh, attended there having already been impaired. So, you know, those are those are some of the targeted areas, if you want to put it that way, as far as where we know drinking is taking place and we're making sure that they're not driving beyond at that time, right, after having those, having consumed. You know, same thing for you're impaired by drug would be very similar if there are known areas for drug use and whatnot, then we certainly uh, look at that. And then, of course, the whole purpose of this seasonal ride kickoff and this time where the government has funded the additional officers on the road specific for ride program is just that. It's those spot checks to make sure that those that are already out driving on our roads are doing so responsibly and safely. How frustrating can it be? This is a message that isn't new, don't drink and drive or Mm. don't drink impaired. How frustrating is it for officers when you stop a driver and it's obvious that they shouldn't be behind the wheel? Um, Yeah, (laughs) obviously it's very frustrating, you know, year over year, the amount of education, the amount of uh, prevention. We work closely with MAD York Region here in York Region, MAD Canada, uh, Arrive Alive, um, Parents Against Driving High. There's so many different groups that are working, even those like the AGO and the beer stores and the and uh, the LCBO, all working to say, you know, drink responsibly and don't drink and drive. You know, the message is consistent, nonstop. Um, so it is very frustrating, and a lot of it, unfortunately, comes down to uh, one individual responsibility but it also comes down to obviously um, when we're dealing with repeat offenders um, there there's there's difficulties there with with some individuals and and uh, alcoholism uh, drug addictions you know certainly play a part uh, whether those drugs are uh, prescription or otherwise that plays a part in it and uh, so while frustrated at the time dealing with the individual we have to be professional respectful and understanding that there are other factors involved but the message is clear do not drink and drive it's a crime and it's one that has a massive ripple effect for so many people 
And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, the message continues. We will not stop uh, fighting against this senseless act of, uh, of violence, in essence. Yeah, it's frustrating, but it's uh, not going away, unfortunately. Some of these impaired drivers do find themselves in accidents, and there are the occasions when it's a fatality and an innocent bystander is killed. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where, you know, that, that ripple effect is it's not just the individual that's impaired that can have consequences. There's consequences for so many others around that, uh, including the officers, the paramedics, the firefighters, the nurses, the doctors, the coroners that have to deal with the aftermath. Uh, the mental health side of things, there's so much, like the ripples just continue and continue from one person's choice or decision to do something. What kind of excuses do you hear? Mm. <laughs> well, um, I've only had two drinks. I, I feel fine. Uh, I drive better when I'm high. I'm, I'm a better driver when I'm high. That's a common one, unfortunately. They're endless. That doesn't make any sense, but common sense doesn't come into this factor, does it? No, in a lot of cases it doesn't. Unfortunately, it's um, you know there's there's risk taking uh, behaviors. There's uh, there, it just it's an endless supply of of reasons or um, excuses. It's so simple nowadays. The the options of transportation are almost as endless as uh, you've got Uber. You've got you know you've got all these taxis transit, friends, family, be a DD, right? Have a designated driver, stay over, don't drive if you don't have to. So there's many options available to people and it literally just comes down to the choice. We are getting into the festive spirit and now the festive ride programs are out across <clears throat> your region. How effective are they? Uh, very effective. Um, I think it's a matter of uh, obviously uh, one, just the presence and and knowledge base that people have that were out there makes them maybe take that second thought and say, you know, you know maybe I shouldn't be driving. But at the same time, uh, you know, obviously the, the stats prove that it works, um, which is unfortunate that the stats do that. But uh, you know, like I said, it isn't going away, unfortunately. Um, you know, year after year, we see, you know, some years are up, some years are down. Uh, our concern, you know, uh, right now that we're seeing is even the level of impairment uh, being on the increase. So we're definitely seeing a benefit from it, and we appreciate uh, the funding that allows us to be out there more often. But again, it's an endless fight, or so it seems. Motorists shouldn't be surprised if they come across a right program, and I know that you always keep those locations secret. Yeah, I mean they're not advertised locations. Um, certainly, we uh, and we and we move around and we make sure we're not. Again, there are specific locations that we utilize based on you know flow of traffic, knowledge base of what's going on in the in the region. Um, you know, and every police service across uh, the province um, will target whether it's uh, residential streets or or uh, more uh, regional road type settings we, we hit all different areas and uh, it's a matter of just uh, working towards promoting the fact that drinking and driving is not acceptable constable snooks it is the season of giving what is the one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners plan ahead that's one key message that a lot of our partners are putting out there in in the fight against uh, impaired driving is plan ahead have that designated driver have a plan take transit 
Use uh, alternate sources of transportation other than yourself behind the wheel. If you know you're going to be drinking, if you know you're going to be consuming drugs in some form or fashion, plan ahead and don't get behind that wheel. There's no need for it. Constable Todd Snooks with York Regional Police's Road Safety Bureau. Thank you for speaking with me today. You're very welcome. In Brampton, the Plasma Centre is in desperate need of donations. Here's Bailey Higgins. Plasma donations can have a massive impact on the quality and longevity of a life. But right now, the Brampton Plasma Donation Centre has a high demand but a low supply. Here on the feed to talk about the difference you can make to Canadian lives is the business development manager for the centre, Simran DeLay. Simran, thank you for joining us today. Hi there, Bailey. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me, what is plasma? Plasma is a protein-rich liquid in your blood that supports the immune system and helps control its excessive bleeding. And the plasma that's being donated helps patients across Canada. Why is there this need for blood and plasma? There's a constant need for blood and plasma donation. As every minute of the day, someone in Canada needs blood or plasma products. But right now, one in eight Two Canadians are eligible to donate blood and plasma and platelets, but only one in 81 does. So I like to put the call out there for the community, those who have donated before, to really roll up your sleeves and to donate. For those who haven't, please consider donating blood and plasma donation. And again, 90 minutes of your day can help make all the difference for a patient. So people are fairly familiar with how blood is utilized, but what is plasma used for? Plasma can be used for uh, transfusions, in vital medication. So plasma that's being donated at the Brampton Plasma Facility is actually being used to make life-saving medications for treatments such as autoimmune disorders, immunodeficiencies, neurological disorders, and among many other conditions. And those patients have no other treatment options other than the plasma that's being donated. Because plasma is being used in all these different medications and transfusions, the demand for it must be quite high. Yes, so the demand right now for plasma is four times what's being collected. That's why we're reaching out to the community and encouraging you to donate plasma. As plasma, it takes an upwards of 100 donations to help one recipient for one year. So plenty of plasma is being used, but 95% of that's water, so you're eligible to donate more frequently. How does the process work for donating plasma? It is very similar to whole blood. So we ask that you book your appointment first as we are only taking appointment only uh, at this moment. And once you booked your appointment to bring one piece of ID to your donation and remember to eat a healthy meal and drink plenty of water. Uh, A myth is that you're not supposed to eat before your blood and plasma donation. So eat plenty and drink plenty of water and allocate about 90 minutes for your donation. It is very similar to whole blood where it's one needle. It's the same thickness. The difference is it is done through an apheresis process. So that means that we're taking a little bit of your blood out, we're running out of centrifuge, separating all your blood components and only taking out your plasma and returning back your red blood cells, your white blood cells and your platelets. So you're eligible to donate every week and then you leave also with a local baked good as well. So we always want to make sure that the donors have the best max out there so you leave with a smile on your face. People might be concerned, you know, I don't think I can go in because of X, Y, and Z. Maybe they feel like they have sort of some sort of condition that prevents them from donating plasma. What are the, the requirements and restrictions to donate? 
Yes, so anyone that is uh, healthy, that weighs 110 pounds and are 17 and over are eligible to donate plasma, very similar to whole blood, but those who have been deferred in the past for whole blood may be eligible to donate plasma. So we encourage you to go on blood.ca to complete the questionnaire to check if you're eligible to book your appointment and book your appointment today at blood.ca. And where are some locations that people can get involved in this? Yes, so we have many locations across Canada, but encouraging donors to come out and visit the Brampton Plasma Donor Center located at 8255 Financial Drive. So that's one of our eight plasma centers across Canada, soon to be nine. I encourage you to book your appointment today or to go on blood.ca and to learn more about plasma donation. Thank you for joining us today, Simran. We really appreciate everything you and the Brampton Plasma Donation Center do to help Canadians every day. No, thank you so much. And in the end, I'd like to thank you for giving me the time to advocate for the need for blood and plasma donation. And anyone that is curious or would like to learn more, I encourage you to book your appointment today at blood.ca as the need for plasma is constant. It doesn't take a holiday. Your donation can make all the difference in a patient's life. After the break, mild or cold, snow or rain, the winter weather forecast is next on The Feed. Do you have a story idea for The Feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of The Feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Outside is frightful. Or is it? Actually, fairly mild and a bit of drizzle on this second weekend of December. So what will this winter be for you and for me? Let's ask Canada's favorite forecaster, weather wizard David Phillips, senior climatologist, Environment Canada. So good to be with you, David. Well, thank you, Anne. I always enjoy chatting with you. We just—it's like uh, two people talking across a picket fence. You know, we 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 love what we do, and uh, and it's always great to to connect with you and to chat about hey, what our favorite topic is as Canadians, people in York Region. Hey, we love to chat about the weather. Not that we can do anything about it, Anne, but we certainly love to curse it and bless it and complain about it. We sure do. All right, let's start with this winter. I understand yep. that El Nino is back. It is, you know. I don't know. Some people, skiers, curse that. And, and general folk, uh, hey, they, they kind of uh, uh, bless it. Uh, it is, um, it tends to, it makes my business of, of a, a sort of forecasting in the long range a little easier. It's my batting averages always go up when we either have La Nino, which is the cold water, or like this year, the El Nino. Now, the, it, the water is it's in the South Pacific. It's around Ecuador, Peru. My gosh, thousands of kilometers away from York region. But, hey, I mean, it does influence our weather because it affects the circulation pattern. And I think, and what's interesting about this El Nino is not just your garden variety El Nino. This one is big. It's intense. Not record, but it's certainly up there. And also what's so interesting we haven't seen before, it came much earlier. I mean, normally you declare these things in November, December. El Nino is here. Okay. <laughs> and then, but in fact, this one came declared maybe in June, July. So it's been a, a little around a little while and we've already seen the effects of it out west people are sending search parties looking for winter even here in southern ontario we're saying well gee we really haven't had a had a tough uh, a beginning my gosh we've had
had some uh, snow late this week, and then here on the weekend, we've we've had some rain and some warm temperatures. That's not your white Christmas snow that you have. So, hey, I, I think that what we're seeing already, El Nino is playing out. And so typically, when you get an El Nino year, you get a lot of those Pacific breezes blowing across and keeps the polar vortex well to the north. Not totally. I mean, it's not going to be like this every day and every week, but it's certainly going to be the flavor, the personality of the winter. We think this is what we'll, uh, uh, we will all of a sudden look at at the end of December. When we look at our numbers, we'll say, hey, we were right because it was milder than normal. And does El Nino influence winter right through until the end of it, March 19th, 2024? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it, it tends to, it's like an ocean effect. It's not, it's not here, gone tomorrow. It really, that's the beauty of why you can look at the ocean and get sort of the signals for how the season ahead is going to play out because it really stays put. Now, uh, eventually, it, it lasts usually about a year, uh, 7 to 12 months, and it comes maybe every every five, six, seven years. So this one's the first one since we've had two, 2015, 16 was the last one. And I think one of the indications that we often have about El Nino, you look back at the previous one, it's sort of like the past tells us what the future is going to be. The last El Nino we had was, my gosh, 2015, 2016. Let me describe what the weather was like in York Region on that particular winter. Well, snowfall was only about 61% of normal, so less snow. I mean, the worst snow day was 7 centimeters of snow. My gosh, I don't mind shoveling, plowing that. Mm -hmm. And we had, um, you know, maybe um, two cold days below minus 20 we normally would see four and the average temperature was about three and a half degrees warmer than normal and every month um, uh, November, December, right through to March was warmer than normal. So it tells you it's not kind of um, a tropical, but it certainly is less Arctic and Siberian as it normally would be. Now, David Phillips, I've learned from you that no two El Ninos are alike, and I oh. want to go way back because I've, you, I, you love to do this and you've taught me how to do it. I believe the ice storm of 1998 was an El Nino event. Oh, and you impressed me that you could remember that, <laughs> that you even remember that little nugget of information that I shared with you. You're right. They all have different personalities like people. I mean, this is called El Nino, the boy child. Well, every little boy child is different. And you're right, though. There's a certain kind of pattern. And I often say that El Ninos have some surprises in them, tricks up a nature's sleeve. And you're right. 1998 was an El Nino year. And you try telling people in Ottawa, Montreal, that they like El Nino and they will say, no, we don't want that, because that was that one. Now, we didn't get any in Toronto. It was all rain, but boy, from Kingston to the to the East Coast, it was a, a winter wonderland and pretty a lot of misery for people. So, yeah, it's not all clear sailing and uh, with El Nino, but it gives you kind of a sense of how the winter is going to play out. So how would you, David Phillips, best describe then the winter of 2023 going into 2024? What are we looking at? What are the key words to keep in mind for the prediction, the forecast for the winter of 2023? Well, Anne, I always think that nature gives you a heads up. Um, she already has said, you know, what this winter is going to be like. We've had a little bit of uh, snow, but it's gone. Uh, we've had some cold moments, but now we're back into melting. Anything we got last week and melt in terms of snow is long gone. I mean, it's not your white Christmas snow that you're, you're going to count on, no. Um, so I think that the flavor, the personality is already shown. It's sort of like, hey, some melting days and some freezing days. We're not canceling winter, but we think the pattern will be more of a back and forth. And I always think if you're not a big fan of winter, you like El Nino because... 
it makes the winter go faster. You get those moments where you're freezing and you think, oh my gosh, I live in the second coldest country in the world, the snowiest, but then all of a sudden the breezes blow from the Pacific into the south and it's it's warmer than normal. <laughs> so back and forth and up and down, kind of a yo-yo kind of thing. You're not just in the deep freeze, um, morning, noon, and night for, for three months. You have a little variety and all of a sudden you wake up and you think, oh, now we're into February, it's the shortest month, and hey, doesn't March, doesn't, doesn't spring come there? And my gosh, it's over. <laughs> and so, so my sense is that that's how it's going to play out. It's already told us that, and I think it will be tamer. It's not canceled. I have to. Re- that's another little fact you have to remember for next year when we talk. Hey, uh, El Nino doesn't cancel winter. It just makes it more tame and open. How do you know, how do you forecast both long and short term? Well, you know, it is a trick, you know. I mean, it is something that, you know, we take seriously in Canada. It's, it's because weather is so important to us. We, we're attacked by weather from every direction. And, and I think in terms of the long term, that's what I look at, the month, the season ahead, and uh, even the year ahead. Um, it, it, you look at the oceans. That's really where the clue is, how the oceans are playing out. Because as I mentioned to you earlier, the, the, the heat kind of stays there. They just don't change overnight. So that often gives you the real clue. And, and there, it's, it's exciting business because what we're seeing are these kind of teleconnections. Things on the other side of the world affect your weather. And so we're learning about this. And it's very exciting to be a weather person. Person because we're realizing that something that can occur in, in the Middle East or in China will affect our weather here, the pattern. It used to be that we'd just say, well, you know, summers were hot and winters were cold. Well, we know that that's not right. It's, it changes there. And what we're seeing are many more extremes, variations, uh, wild cards in the, in the Joker deck. So there's always these things that keep us kind of honest, but it also makes it kind of exciting and why we, as Canadians, talk about it so much. And you're passion for all things weather infectious. David Phillips, Senior Climatologist, Environment Canada, thank you so much, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you, Anne, so much. I enjoyed our time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. A new tech program in Newmarket aims to provide basic digital literacy for adults. Tina Cortez now with that story. Alison Howard is Executive Director of ABC Life Literacy Canada. Alison, welcome to the feed. Thank you for having me. Tell us about ABC Life Literacy Canada and the new digital literacy program. Sure. ABC Life Literacy Canada is a national nonprofit. We provide introductory learning materials at no cost to adults across Canada. Our new program, uh, Connect for Learning, is about helping empower Canadians who aren't comfortable using the internet with the knowledge that they need to get started. So we have a program consisting of free workbooks and downloadable resources to help new internet users learn how to use it safely. So why the need for this type of program right now? Well, our need to develop digital literacy skills is constantly evolving. The rapid pace of technology changes, it's just increasingly part of our everyday life. It's changed how we do things, and it's going to keep changing how we do things. So to keep up, we need to keep learning so that we can continue to thrive at home, at work, and in the community. Allison, can I ask you, why do you think so many working-age Canadians struggle with problem-solving in technology-rich environments? Well, there are many reasons for that, uh, due in part to a lack of exposure or access to the training they need, 
or to the use of hardware and software. These could be due to uh, financial and geographic limitations. Also, sometimes it's a case of uh, limited literacy and numeracy skills. And sometimes it's just that lack of confidence. You're intimidated by new technology you're looking at, and there's a fear of failure there. Mm-hmm. How do you think you get past that you know, fear or intimidation? Well, it's important to know that um, you're not alone, that lots of people struggle with this and do have that fear. And it's important also to know that there are resources out there to help. Um, Through our Connect for Learning program, we do offer resources online as well as through in-person workshops with our community partners. And these are ways for people to access materials at no cost and in complete privacy. What specific details or content areas are covered in the digital literacy program? We offer resources to get started using digital devices and learn about popular applications. Uh, We also offer resources to learn about new technology and how to use certain websites, apps, and software on phones, tablets, and computers. And we do have courses through our online learning program to uh, just continue practicing those digital literacy skills. Alison, when does the program start? Is it available all throughout the year? Yes, so through our digital literacy platform, abcconnectforlearning.ca, everyone can access our materials at any time convenient for them. They're always there. Uh, Through our community partners, we do offer these same materials through in-person workshops, and those are hosted by the community partners. Um, For those who are interested in learning about where the next workshop is happening close to them, it's good to know that we do offer these workshops through our partners across Canada, and everyone can contact us at abcconnectforlearning.ca to learn more. What do you mean about community partners? What exactly does that mean in terms of, you know, the average listener? Who do they contact? Sure. Well, we work with a number of different partners in communities across Canada, who offer local learning and training opportunities. So think about uh, organizations like public libraries, women's shelters, YMCAs, uh, friendship centers, all kinds of different community organizations that offer these in-person workshops using our materials. So it helps for those who just need uh, someone there in person to help guide them, to answer questions they may have. Some people just really work better with that personal touch. Are the workshops and programs open to any age group? Yes, they are, and everything is absolutely free. That's amazing. If listeners want more information, I know you mentioned this a little earlier, where can they connect with you? They can reach us at abcconnectforlearning.ca. Terrific. Thanks for your time today, Allison. Thank you. I appreciate it. Coming up, the Olympic badminton qualifiers take center court in Markham. That story is after the break on the feed. Please stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. In Markham this weekend, badminton champs are competing for the Paris Olympics. Jim Lang with the highlights. The world-class Markham Pan Am Center hosting the 2023 Yonex Canadian International Challenge, and it's going on until Sunday, December the 10th. It's some of the best badminton players on the planet, and front and center is the pride of Markham herself, Michelle Lee, and she joined us today on the feed. Michelle, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, 
training, and I'm, uh, I'm just coming back from injury, so uh, a lot of recovery is happening, and uh, it's going well. Well, and that's what I wanted to get to before we get to some of the um, different things going on with the championship. I think a lot of listeners, it, it, they always talk about that, to compete in badminton at the elite level. What kind of training goes into that to build your mind and body up to compete on the Olympic or Pan Am or Commonwealth stage? Uh, the thing is with badminton is that it, it takes a, a combination of everything, so mental, physical, and if one thing is lacking, it really affects your entire game. So uh, we always have to be training in the gym every day, and we, we have to be training on court every day, but we also have to give time to train the mentality of the, the game as well. So it's a lot of time, it's a lot of commitment, and it's uh, six, six days a week and uh, almost six to seven hours a day. So I would imagine you do a lot of flexibility, a lot of cardio, but I would there has to be a strength component because you have to be able to move laterally and forward and backwards with, with with almost no notice. So you must do specific exercises so you can explode quickly to different parts in the court. Yeah, the strength part is extremely important because, uh, yes, we have to move very explosively. we got to move at all angles. And we also have to be able to continue the rally on, like endurance-wise. Yes. But it's also a, a, a very important part to keep your body strong and uh, prevent injury. Because if you're not strong, there's so much pressure on the joints, especially how quickly and all these angles and, and all the pivoting that happens in, in a rally. So the strength part is very important. And when you're competing on the international stage with the elite of this sport, um, I can imagine, Michelle, there's no margin for error. Everything has to be so precise. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, repetition. Badminton training is a lot of repetition. That's why there's a lot of time that needs to be put into it. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, strategic ways to train in badminton, but it, it is very time-consuming. I remember talking to the coach for the national team when the Pan Am Games were going on, and he I didn't realize this, Michelle, but he said when you and your Team Canada teammates compete internationally, often they crank up the AC on the Canadian side of the court to make it more difficult. Is that why you appreciate playing in Canada or playing in a place like the Pan Am Center? Because you know it's going to be fair and even for everyone? Uh, yeah, it's always, uh, it's always interesting to see where you kind of play um, the stadiums that you play in. And, uh, the air conditioning makes a big difference because of the draft. But at home, you get the support of uh, family, friends, you get the home crowd, and you get, like, home advantage. So it's always nice to play at home. Speaking with Michelle Lee of Markham, taking part in the 2023 Yonex Canadian International Challenge, it also happens to be a 2024 Summer Olympic Games qualifier. Uh, you're about to attempt to qualify for your fourth trip to the Olympics. When you're walking on the court representing Canada, this girl from Markham uh, competing in the Olympic Games, what is that like? For listeners, try to explain to them what's it like when you step on there and you're competing. Um, I think there's a lot of... Um uh, it's a very, it's a, it's a privilege to definitely be able to step on court. I've been injured a lot, so um, as I guess as I get older, the more times that I I go I, I compete now, I understand like how lucky and uh, blessed I am to to have this opportunity to be able to stand on court, represent um, my country, and knowing that. Coming from my country, there has been a lot of obstacles, and to get to where I am right now, I, it, 
I feel very um, uh, happy that I I've gotten this far, and I'm yeah, it's definitely a it's, it's definitely a special feeling, something that I'll never get used to. I still get nervous, and it's it's still a very it still means a lot to me. Michelle, I enjoy the opening ceremonies in the Olympic game, but I absolutely love, I adore the closing ceremonies because I mean, all the, the blood, sweat, and tears, the training, the competing, the mental stress, it's gone, it's over, you, you finished it, and everyone's sort of having a, a good time. Is that maybe for you one of your most favorite parts of competing in a huge event is those closing ceremonies of the Olympic Games and you're there with all your friends and other athletes from other countries? Yeah, I think the, the, the ceremonies are definitely a, a big um, moment for a lot of the athletes because it it represents a, a milestone in a way. We, we've gotten this far, we're here, and it, it's just the, the way that the ceremonies are organized. They're, they're very um, uh, epic. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to put into words because it's a feeling. As you walk into the stadium with all the other athletes, with the rest of Team Canada, it's very you feel this sense of pride and you feel this sense of um like it's i'm proud to be where i am i'm proud to be representing my country doing what i love what i'm passionate about and it's it's a once in a lifetime kind of thing um, I always wonder about this. Uh, some athletes use music to get in the zone. Some people have a comfort food the day they're competing to just make sure they're right. Is there is there a go-to thing for you, Michelle, or you just worry about the competition? You don't care about the music or food, or is it important to you? Yeah, that's definitely important. It, it's definitely, everyone is different. Everyone's routine is different to get yourself into the zone. Um, for me, I do listen to music. I have to get into the mind, mindset, my, like into my own space. To, to make sure that I perform the way that I want to perform and to just um, find the right um, levels of uh, engagement. Mm-hmm. Everyone is different. For me, the music helps calm me down and I need to be a little bit more uh, relaxed and uh, the music helps me and just kind of uh, distancing myself from other people and just um, visualizing too. That, that helps me. So what's on the Michelle Lee, I want a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games, going to the Olympics playlist to get you in the zone? What's on the playlist? Yeah. Uh, I it, it varies. Sometimes, like, if I'm very nervous and very anxious, I need to listen to something a little bit more calming. Mm. And um, and if sometimes I'm wa- I'm too relaxed, I need to listen <laughs> to something a little bit more upbeat. But I'm a... Uh, I'm an old-school kind of girl, so I kind of like the 90s, 2000s-era music. Um, sometimes I'm also a country girl, but at the same time, I can be a rap girl. I can be, like, pop, so it, it varies. Well, that's the great thing about music, right, Michelle? Because depending on what you need, it's kind of there for you. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good... Uh, it's a good outlet to have, for sure. When you're competing at the Markham Pan Am Center, and, and, and you do have family and friends there, unlike competing internationally, it's got to be tempting when you have breaks to look in the crowd. Or like, Are you trying to stay focused on the match? Because you know your family and friends are like, Michelle, you're the best, and they're waving at you. I, it definitely puts me like in a better mindset when I'm at home. I do play better when I'm at home because... Uh, the support of my friends and family, it, it keeps me pushing forward, no matter the, the obstacle, no matter the 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 fatigue or whatever. I, I It keeps me focused, and I, I always tend to play better when I'm at home. 
So in the past, like I've I've won the Canada Open and I've won the Canadian International and I've I've won the Pan Am in Toronto, and I've I'm really happy that I can do that in front of friends and family. And I think a big part of it is just being at home and um, having the support of everyone at home. They know that I've been training really hard, and it, and to finally be able to showcase that it means a lot to me as an athlete. But I, it, I'm, I feel like I'm not just playing for myself; I'm playing for them as well. Yeah, well, the, well, the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child, and you have all that support helping you get to where you go. I, I get that, Michelle. I get that. It's it's not just you; it's all of them, right? Yeah, like I definitely can't get to where I am by myself, and uh, I've had a lot of help along the way, and it's it's been a it's been amazing. Well, not just here in Markham or York Region, but all across Canada. There are a lot of fans, Michelle, taking part in the 2023 Yonex Canadian International Challenge at the state-of-the-art, world-class Markham Pan Am Center going on until late Sunday, December the 10th. Michelle, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Glad that you're feeling healthy and competing again, and you have a, a, a lot of fans around this country pulling for you. Congratulations and good luck. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.